Good evening, everybody. We're glad you're here. And tonight's going to be a fun one. We're going to talk a lot about um, Chapter 8. A couple things I want to break with you real quick. Um, here at Lighthouse Community Church, one of the things we're going to do on Easter Sunday is we're having baptisms. So if you would like to be baptized on Easter Sunday, please feel free to contact us. If you're on, on the stream right now, please contact us at pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. And you, we'll be able to talk with you and share with you and let us know that you're interested in getting baptized um, on Easter Sunday. It's a, it's a really cool opportunity to be um, raised to life just like Jesus was on the, on the resurrection day. So that's a great thing. Also, um, I know that on April 30th, we have men's breakfast coming up. And I believe there's a women's tea coming up. There's lots of things. Go to our website at lighthousecommunity.com and you'll be able to see all those. That's all the service public announcements I have for you. I did my job today. Yeah, that's great. Okay, tonight we're in the eighth chapter of Revelation. An interesting Revelation chapter only because this one starts off so much different than every other chapter in the Bible. The only one that's, that's kind of, of, of more strange or different than this one is chapter 12. But chapter 8, I mean, it just, the very first verse, it starts out this way. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I'm not going to wait a half an hour. I'm just messing with you. That was too easy. You guys were too cold, though. So we, we just... <laughs> I teach other classes on the power of the pause and conflict resolution, so I just wanted to see how you all would react. So... It's an interesting thing to think about it. For all of a sudden, he opens the seal, the lamb opens the seal, and it just goes dead silent in heaven. Just like that little moment of four or five seconds, which, which is real interesting. Anytime you go over five to six seconds of silence, people get real uncomfortable. They don't like when you do that. Um, if you really want to mess with a family member, you know, look them straight in the eyes after they say something to you and pause for about a count of six or seven in your head and watch them look at you like you've lost your mind. It's really interesting to see. Did you hear me? Did you? You know, it's fun. But I can imagine being in heaven and for 30 minutes. Think about this. 30 minutes, there's silence. And everybody keeps asking me, why? Why did that happen? I said, well, did you continue reading? Well, it says, when the Lamb opened the seven seals, silence in heaven for half an hour. Well, why was there? Well, I think if we keep reading, maybe we can find out. So that would be a wise choice. All right, let's keep going. Verse 2, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. We're going to stop at those first four verses. A censer, does anybody know what a censer is? Um, I'm sure you've seen some of the movies with, with church services and stuff in them where they've got a big gold box and their censer, and they, the priest comes through and he's waving the censer back and forth and there's a lot of smoke coming through it. 
And that is basically the, the, the apparatus that they use in, in very liturgical churches, especially in Europe. Does everybody understand liturgical churches? Okay, liturgical churches are the churches that practice a lot of the, um, I want to say the rituals from churches in, in many years ago. It's very respectful of God's holiness. It's very respectful of his, his place, his presence. Whenever you see a liturgical church that goes through a lot of um, pageantry and things in honor of the Lord, most of the time it is because they have so much respect for God's holiness, and that's why they do that. Well, this, this angel that, come, that is coming through right now, notice that we're at the place where the angels are doing most of the work. And at this point, none of the four creatures did we hear from in this instance where we were talking about the prayers of the saints and the censor and all that. I always thought that was interesting. I don't know why, but that really, I thought, well, what happened to the four creatures? What are they doing? Well, don't worry. They haven't gone anywhere, Bill. They're still there. Okay. So... When the angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, this thing is made of real gold, and they're not light, most of these things. They're, when they're really, truly the real ones, they're, they're pretty heavy, and they're a square, kind of ornate box, and you can look them up on, online later, just like, you know, censer, uh, C-E-N-S-E-R, spell it the right way so you know. And as you look at that, the reason I'm talking about it so much is simply because of this. It had one purpose and one purpose only. It contained the prayers of the saints, most of which have gone before you. That's what it represented. They wanted, they wanted something that showed how when we prayed and things happened, we want something to lift our hands. And, and in that verse 3, when he says, and the incense and the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar were... They, it went up in verse 4. The saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Verse 5 is the kicker. Then in verse 5 he says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I'm not thinking that the censor was holding at that time a lot of peaceful prayers of the saints. Much symbolism in this book will change your idea on the way that God handles what we call tribulation. Tribulation being the lipsis. What does that mean? Does anybody remember? The lipsis means... Go ahead there, Superman. What, Rick? Pressure. pressure, extreme pressure. That is correct. And when God uses the, what we would consider a normal instrument or something that represents something else differently to us, does that get our attention then when all of a sudden he takes that censer that was had all the beautiful incense, that was carrying all the prayers of the saints, then he filled it with fire and threw it on the earth and caused all this stuff? Do you think God wants to get our attention? I'm thinking that's what's going on here. God was trying to get somebody's attention because after all of the woes that came through that were coming through before that, 
the, the six seals before this, and the seventh seal comes, and all of a sudden you had the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You had then the other seals where people were taking peace from the earth and causing things. The four angels that stood at the four winds and the four corners of the earth. All of this tribulation get ready to happen. And then we have silence in heaven for half an hour. And it's almost like, oh, we made it through that one. And then you see the angel with the censer of the incense going to the prayers and lifting the prayers to God. How wonderful, what a beautiful scene that is. <laughs> then he grabs fire, throws it in there, and throws it on the earth and calls the thunder, lightning, and an earthquake. We're not done yet. That's where we have to go. We have to understand that with each time, whenever the tribulation signs come, in all of these things that happen in this book, whenever they start to look peaceful and then something else happens, something else is going to be addressed. When I say addressed, there's more sin on the earth that needs to be addressed. And God is not one to be able to say, well, you know, I didn't see that one over there. I heard somebody this week looked at me and said, well, that's okay. You know, God only notices the people that really believe in him. <laughs> I had to tell him, said, you know, I'm sorry. I, I read a lot in this book. And you know who he spends most of his attention on? The people who don't believe. He says, wait, no, that's not true. He just talks to the saints. And I said, what does he talk to the saints about? He talks to the saints about being concerned, having a heart for helping people who don't know him understand. So you, my friend, are more of God's discussion than I am. And he said, well, did he can't just can he see, and he's stumbling over his words and he says, Well, wait, does it mean he can see everything I do? Oh, there's lots of words about that in here. Let me just tell you, there's lots of those. And he looks at me and he goes, Well, that isn't good. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> Would you like to know how to make it not uh, make it be better? You know, I asked him, I said, I said, well, you know, anytime that you want to talk about how that can be better, let me know. We've known each other many years. We can sit down and have a discussion about it. Because the good part is he accepts everybody into that kingdom. And even the people going through this tribulation right now, when he talks about coming out of the tribulation as he did in chapter 7, Remember the elder looked at, at, at John at one point and says, you know, who are these in white robes coming out? And, and then John says, you know better than I do. Uh, you're asking me? And John looks at him and says, who, I don't, you know, you know better than I do. And the elder says, those are the ones coming out of the tribulation. Coming out, continuous, all the time. The ones that get to come out even when they made a decision beforehand, and, and we're in the tribulation because of some of their past deeds. And now they're wondering, they're seeing all this stuff going around them. And they're reaching out to God. I, my point tonight to start with is any time in all of these things, the seven seals, seven trumpets, the seven bowls of the wrath of God, all of those events at any moment in any time, God allows you turns. Amen? Yes. So the, isn't that, that's the great part for us. 
is that we get to see that God actually turns around and says, you know what, you don't have to feel that tribulation. You can still come out of it. And that's the, the, the message that he has throughout this book. That's why I get so excited about sharing this book with you is because this is the book that gives us that because now we're going to go into um, verse number um, six where we start with the seven trumpets. And he says, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. That's pretty descriptive. That's pretty, pretty much a, a, when you see the hail and fire mixed with blood, one third of the earth and all of its vegetation are burned up. So one third. So then you have two thirds of still good earth. Everybody wants to know, can you tell us where that first one third is? I want to make sure I'm not there when this started. <laughs> Remember when Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, no man knows the day or the hour? Yeah, that means for this too. No man knows the place or the trees that are going to get hit. You just don't. It's in God's hands. So it's better to be closer to him than far away from him. Amen? Thank you. I love that you're answering me now. You figured out I'm going to call you out if you don't. Here we go. The second angel in verse 9, or oh, verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire um, was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Very much a descriptive thing of what's going on there's not much that we can't see by the way i'm working off the the outline too that you should have if you didn't get outlines for all of these chapters they are in the back and i hope you pick them up on your way in if you're online and you don't have the outlines i i truly believe that they were with um, any of the streaming you can go in there excuse me and get the outlines as well so when we talk about the the first trumpet after the censor um, it's on the back page there. With the hail and fire mixed with blood that were thrown upon the earth. One-third of the earth with trees were burned up. And then the second trumpet, something like a great mountain burning with fire. One-third of the sea became blood. A third living creatures died. One-third of the ships destroyed. Are we starting to see what's going on here? Is that instead of God just coming down and destroying things all at once... What's the purpose in the one-thirds, do you think? Thank you. So you guys are getting really good at this. I'm either, I'm either a really good teacher or you guys have already figured it all out, which I would take the latter first. So the great thing is this. When we talk about a third, it's almost as if, okay, so 33.333333% gets to see it. And the other 60 points, 60.66, you know, all the other stuff gets to see it. When we see those kinds of things, when we witness them, much like in the last chapter, the angels witnessed the people. Remember, the people were all of a sudden saying salvation has come from our God now in chapter seven. And it was the people who were just getting excited because they were experiencing salvation. Angels don't know what that feels like because when an angel's created in heaven, they're created perfect, right? Right. 
It's not until you go through what you go through and you feel that salvation that you begin to just praise God. You begin to feel honored. You begin to feel, why does he do this? I'm, I'm so in awe. I'm so amazed at who God is because he took all that stuff from me and made me one with the white robe. Wow. Then we see the angels who witnessed the humans and that salvation. They all of a sudden laid down their crowns, fall before God and said, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. And in all of that scene, the most important part to me, I love the praise and that because obviously I'm a worship leader as well. But the whole thing is this. When the angels see what it means to the humans by their testimony, does that tell you how important your testimony is? You have no idea how much your story of salvation in Jesus Christ is to those around you. When you're starting to read about all these trumpets coming along and everything that's going to be happening with these trumpets and they're the ones who saw what was going on here, who are witness. So you got one third over here and you got two thirds over here and all of a sudden right here, this third gets burnt up with everything. See, the ship's destroyed, trees, everything. And then these two thirds are standing by it and going, wow, look at that. I think I want to come to know God. I want to find him like quick. How do we find Jesus? I know I have already heard that you can find Jesus after even after this. So I'm going to go find him. If that to be in the truth, then the people of this day that we live around who watch us go from what we were to what we are, they want to know too. Please know and understand. And Eric always makes fun of me because I say, please understand a lot. But I'm hoping that you get the fact that God is waiting for your testimony to become so important to you that you begin to share it with those who need to hear it. And don't be surprised if all of a sudden somebody who starts talking to you about something, a friend, a coworker, a family member, about a trial or a tribulation they're going through matches something that you are on the other side of. And you've already experienced God's grace. And very patiently you hear their story and you say to them, that must have hurt amazingly. Can I pray with you and just come alongside you? I know something of that hurt. I can never feel exactly what you did, but I do know that watching you go through this hurt makes me sad. Let me help you. Let me come alongside. Let's pray. Let's sit. Sometimes you don't even have to pray. Just sitting with somebody and holding their hand, putting an arm around them, listening to them on the phone. Something that simple. Because in all of these things, as you see what it does to one-third of the earth in this testimony, it's all about the testimony of the other two-thirds who watch this and say, we need to find Jesus soon, quick. I don't want to be on the other two-thirds if another third is going to hit it. And that's where they're going. So let's look at the, the third trumpet. Very interesting on the third trumpet. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. 
The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had all been made bitter. When we look at the original language, that actually says it all became made, it was all made poisonous. It's not just bitter. I love the people that say, then why, if this God is so loving, did, all, did he write about all of this destruction? Folks, remember, he is a loving God who his patience is far more than anybody on this earth. But he's also a God of justice. And he's been warning us. He's been talking to us and saying, I want you so bad in heaven with me that I'm hoping that you will see that the one way to get in here, which is through Jesus, thank you very much. <laughs> Good job, Charlie. <laughs> John 14, 6, in case you're wondering, you want to write down a scripture reference, there you go. John 14, 6 is the big deal. And he says that, and then it, and then it goes, you know, many people died from the bitter water and that turned to wormwood because wormwood is pretty nasty for those of you that have houses and see termites and you know, all that nastiness. Please never pick up a piece of wood that a termite has eaten and try to taste it. You won't do well. Yes, there are people that I have to tell that to. You want to understand that if we, if we start to read and listen and hear these words, understand behind the scenes, what the people who were on the mainland were hearing when they're hearing about this. Wormwood to them was a very real thing. They understood as it talked about, and they couldn't drink the water because it became bitter. They, used, they would keep their uh, water, the clean water that came out of the rivers and stuff, they would keep that in barrels, right, that were lined with, usually sealed with olive oil and things like that. Well, sometimes, the, as the barrels got older, the worms would get in from the outside and come through, and, and then the inside of the wood would turn to wormwood, and then they would taste that water, and you could tell it was bitter and nasty. And it would also smell very bad. But then at that point in time, they knew it was better to get rid of that wood, right? Get rid of that barrel, pour out the water. Obviously, that would go into the plants and growing the olive trees and things, you know, or, you know, growing the sunflowers for their sunflower seeds. So they had sunflower seeds. So uh, when, they were, when they were doing that, but then they would take new barrels, new olive oil, and clean water and fill them up. And then all of a sudden, that vessel became a very nourishing, satisfying, very beautiful piece of, of, of getting nourishment and refreshment. The same way with us. When the dirtiness and the ugliness gets inside us from sin and Jesus comes in. Think about how they, when they pour that clean water in. And all the kids would, rent, my friend who was, who was uh, Jewish and he was raised in Israel. And he told me, he said, yeah, whenever they would bring the water, the clean water from the barrels, everybody would line up to get some of those first cups. Because that clean water out of there that was in those barrels was just so good. It was just the best part. What we did, especially because most of the time it came, it got, it was cool of the mornings and they would fill them up and then they would drink that and it was wonderful. And so for us to feel the spirit coming in and taking out and turning all the wormwood in our lives into something that's clean, healthy and pure. 
all of a sudden, that's what people want to see. In chapter 7, it talked about the seal of the, on your foreheads, the seal of God. And he told the angels, don't harm the earth or do anything to it until you, we have sealed all of those who have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and who he is and accepted him. And I talked about the fact that we can't see what's written on our forehead, can we? That game, the animal game, where somebody holds up an elephant and they're trying to make elephant sounds to make you guess the name because you can't see it. But everybody out there can. It works the same way as when God is inside you. When the Holy Spirit is inside you and it is shining from you so much and they look at the countenance in your face and your forehead and everything about you is shining because of the light of Christ. That's the seal that God is talking about. And I would very much like for all of you to remember this when we get to the other side of the coin and then we talk about the mark of the beast. Because the mark is a whole different thing than the seal of God. They're two different things, not the same thing. Then I looked and the fourth angel blew, verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, a third of the stars so that the third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. One of the things we don't think about much is at nighttime, you know, the sun goes down and we still have night. Do we, are we still able to see fairly well? Yes. Now, even if we don't have electric lights down the streets and everything else, when, when you're in, I mean, how, I don't know how many of you went camping into the mountains, but when there's a bright moon out there and there's all those stars up there, I'm sorry, but you can still see pretty good. You know, I was able to do a lot of night fishing and things like that. Um, caught some great golden trout in those kind of moments because the trout are too dumb to think there's surely not, no fishermen out there in the middle of the night. So yeah, they would just jump on the fly and we're great to good to go. Yes, I like to fly fish, okay? So we also understand and know that at the same time, if a third of the sun, moon, stars, and everything is struck, now you've got nothing but darkness. Have you ever heard anybody say, oh, I'm not afraid to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be and we're going to have a party? Yeah. Uh-huh. I have news for you. Hell is basically, hell and Hades are the absence of God completely, which means no light, no sound, nothing but darkness and a void. When God made the earth, what does it say? Out of the void, he made the expanse. That void is nothing but pure, dark, black, open, empty, silent, quiet space by yourself, alone. You won't notice anybody around you. You're not going to get to see everybody and high-five each other because the torment your soul will be going through, which we get to in night, chapter 19, is far beyond anything that we could imagine. So when he talks in this verse about taking out a third of the night and might be darkened and the same way as a third of the night. People say, well, there's no light at night. I said, well, if you ever go up to the mountains and see that the moon and the stars, notice that it says that it takes out the moon and a third of the stars. God's trying to tell us there will be no light. There will be no presence. 
Then I looked in verse 13. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So we thought the first <laughs> we thought the first four were bad. This eagle that's flying over and says, Woe to you who haven't heard the other trumpets yet. You ever had somebody say, look at you and say, Yeah, you haven't seen anything yet? That's what this eagle is telling them. You think that hurt? You ain't seen nothing yet. I don't know how, what it's going to take or how it's going to be accomplished that we, that we get to a point in our lives of saying, okay, I'm tired of living like I am. I'm done with it. I don't want to see anymore. I don't want to know anymore or anything else. And then all of a sudden I realize there's pestilence in the world. There's bad things that happen all around us. Everybody's feeling the extreme pressure. Now, that we've gone through, because that's, that's the end of chapter 8, in case you're wondering. That is the end of chapter 8. It, it, very interesting how between the fourth and the fifth trumpet they split this. Because now I'm going to go back a little bit and talk a little bit about some of these things. Not to frighten or upset or judge or anything else with anybody. Please understand that's not my purpose here. My purpose here is to give you some insight just on a whole lot of studying. This is what I have found. There are very many well-meaning scholars and, and Bible people that will not agree with me. And that's okay. We can agree to disagree. Still leave, love each other and care about each other. Because I don't know that anybody can get you the perfect interpretation of God's mind. There's no way anybody can tell you that. And if they can, I don't want to be around them when they say that out loud. That would be a good place to be. So first we're going to go back to verse 1 in chapter 8. Because I want to talk about the silence in heaven. When we hear about the silence in heaven, what we hear and know is that we hear about the fact that God has just opened the last seal of the scroll. As he's holding the scroll, the lamb is holding the scroll on the, on the throne, right? And the lamb then takes and he starts unfolding all the scrolls. And we've seen what they all did. The four horsemen. We saw all of the pestilence and the, and the bad stuff they caused. And we get to the seventh scroll and we're exactly expecting that wow the first six seals were horrible and now we get to the seventh seal and he opens it and then we think it's silent it's quiet chapter five if we were to go back there you would remember when the, the martyrs from under the throne remember what their cry was I'm sorry, not chapter 5, seal number 5. Seal number 4, actually. Seal number 4, and he's, the martyrs from underneath the throne say what? How long, O Lord, will you take to avenge our blood, the blood of the martyrs and those who suffered at the, at 
just because we believed in you. And all of a sudden, now you have God saying, hold on, little ones. You're under my protection here in the throne for a reason. And he says, wait just a little while longer. That is some of the most loving words you could hear from God. Just wait a little while longer. It's like when you're a little kid and you're driving to Disneyland. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Mom and dad look at you and say, it's okay. We're pulling into the parking lot. It'll be just a little while longer. And your heart gets excited and then you get to rest and go, wow, this is amazing. When God says to us, just wait a little while longer, <laughs> our little while and God's little while might be different. Sorry. There is a place in here that says a day to God is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, right? I'm hoping not. I would rather when he says today, the, you know, the trumpet sounds and says, today I'm coming. Great. Don't wait your thousand years. Let's make it today. Let's make up my day, not your day. Is that okay with you? you know. That's what we want to know. Of course, we do that with a lot of things where God is concerned. God, I really, really do want to get this house. I think it would be great. Could we have it in a few days? Like my days, not your days. You know, that kind of thing. But when the silence that lasted a half an hour goes on, there are several things that are around. You have the 24 elders who are standing in silence. Remember the 12 Old Testament rep representatives and then the 12 apostles. Then you have the 12 elders, you know, representing all of the tribes. Then you have um, the martyrs. You have the four living creatures. The four horsemen of the apocalypse have been led out, and the four angels are now standing holding the winds. All of these things that took part in the first six seals are sitting there waiting, and now the seven, before the seventh seal, when it's opened, everything goes silent. It's as if everything is frozen for a certain reason. When Silence happens. I just have a small question. Where do you go? What do you do with that silence? Do we run to find a way to fill it? Because it makes us nervous? Do we fill it with something that keeps us busy? And everybody's saying, what silence are you talking about, Bill? Is that kind of what you're thinking? In everybody's life, there comes a moment when work is done. If you're a parent, kids are put down. The day is over. And for everybody, you finally sit down and you just go, made it through another day. When you stop, when you pause, when all of a sudden there's that moment of restful silence that comes into your household, wherever you are. It can be from the smallest apartment to the biggest mansion. Every single human being has a moment in every single day when all of a sudden the day's activities are over and we start thinking about going to sleep. 
Now, for many people, that time of silence and going to sleep time is filled with thoughts of, okay, so what do I got to do to get ready for tomorrow? Why did you do? Some of you laughed. <laughs> See, the counselor part of me kicks in there and goes, why did you? I want to hear why you all laughed about that because I would love to know what you're thinking when you're thinking, I got to get ready for tomorrow. I have to build this up. I have to do all of these things to prepare instead of how about I might make a small suggestion, just a small one. Part of it, yes, ma'am. Okay, that's the first part. Good job, Darlene. Thank you for the lead-in. Darlene said pray for those of you that didn't hear her. And yes, that is a perfect thing because what is praying? Going into the presence of God to talk with him, correct? So how about if we go into the presence of God to listen to him? Wow, for those of you that didn't see, Darlene just gave me a great big exasperation. So here's the thing. What if, instead of coming to God in our prayer times, in that moment of silence at night, and we just come to him, hey God, I have a little list here of my kids, my family, my husband, my wife, my parents, the students, the people I work with. I have had this list, can we talk about this? And of course, God always says, sure, we can talk about that. But I might suggest, and this is just me, okay, B and Bill. God might be asking you, saying, sure, but when are you and I going to get some time? When are you and I going to be able to sit here and just let me talk with you and hear you and feel you and know you? There's movies out where people say, you know, uh, people who are in love with each other and they'll look at each other and say, oh, I feel you. I really know you. Trust me, they don't feel you and know you anything like God does. God's the one that put everything in you, in you. He's the one that's going to know exactly how you feel, who you are, what you're feeling, what the anxiety that's in you and stuff. Now, many times, and I'm not saying that's anybody in here or on the screen... But I'm not saying that anybody is filling that void of silence with things just because they don't want to look inside and see what they look like inside. Right? None of us want to do that. I mean, we're all not afraid of that. We're not all thinking, yeah, I, I'm going to keep moving in because if I do, then I don't have to think about who I am. And when God's asking us to be in the silence, we don't have a choice but to look inside of who we are. I might suggest, guess who God wants to see first? The inside of us. He wants us to give that to him. By the way, when he, he wants us to give up stuff that, that's just on us and, and heavy, that flips us, that pressure, and, and hand over that weight, he wants you not to attach a piece of rope to it so you can pull it back. I'm sorry, was that rude? I'm, I, yeah, I get accused of that a lot. That's okay. I don't mind being rude for Jesus. Because the thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to hand God stuff with an attachment. When we hand God stuff, hand it to him and leave it alone. Because you're not going to fix it better than he can. That's, that I can tell you straight up. There's no, there's, there will never be a point in your life you can fix things better than God can. But there's also going to be a point when all of a sudden you see God fix it, 
And then the amazement, the honor, the thorough just falling down on your knees in gratefulness kicks in because of what God did through something that is so ugly and painful in your life. Nobody else can see it in your house. Your kids don't see it. Your spouses don't see it. Your, you know, teachers, whatever, bosses, they don't see it because we all know how to put on fronts. But when that silence in heaven took over, every single being of any kind in that place knew that it was time for one thing and one thing only. It's in that quietness and that stillness that we can hear God's voice. So they're waiting for that 30 minutes. They're waiting for that moment when God's voice is heard because they open the seventh seal. Silence in heaven comes. And everybody's thinking, okay, now what, God, what are you going to do? This is going to be amazing. And for 30 minutes, which to us is a really long time of quiet, God says, hey, you with the censer, start waving the incense around. Let's see how, what, we want them to know that there's the prayers. Because when we, in our silence, we want to go, hey, God, I've got a list. God already knows that. He shows it here in the incense. Because what does it say the incense is? It's the prayers of the saints going up to God's, God's face. God already knows that we have a list. That's already there. But what God's waiting for in that silence is for us to stay silent. So I would ask you this. And I did this with the men once. And every single one of them came back to me and said, I made it four. I didn't, couldn't do. I said, can we stay silent for six minutes? Try it. When you go to the next time you go to prayer time, say, okay, yeah, I don't, and I don't even care if you have a watch like this or a phone or whatever, and you go ahead and set it for six minutes. Now, don't set it next to you if you do that. If it's going to go off on an alarm after six minutes, make sure it's across the room. Because what are you going to do if it's sitting right here? Ah, you're all in there. I love the fact these confessions of faith. That's great. You're right. You're going to be looking down and going, I can't believe only a minute and a half has gone by. That's just crazy. <laughs> so, for this to work in your life, if you really want to experience something amazing in your prayer life, six minutes, take, put that alarm, whatever you want over there, if you have to set one. Because I will challenge you to this. If you do this for five days in a row, by the sixth day, you won't be setting an alarm. By the sixth day, you're going to go over and look at your clock or phone or whatever and realize, I've been listening to God for 25 minutes. Now, when the tears come, when the cooling sense of the Holy Spirit comes and happens, when all of a sudden you're weeping because you're remembering things that you need for confession and you're just not even talking to God, you're just hearing him. Don't call him blame Bill. It's not my fault. 
I'm just presenting a small little experiment that might make you feel better. <laughs> but all the guys came to me and later on and they said, well, I made it four. And at first it was crazy. Then he would come back, the same guy that did that after the two weeks of it, he came, he came back to me about a month later and he goes, I sat down for my six minutes and all of a sudden my boss calls me and it's time to go to work. I'm thinking, no, I don't have to go to work until 8. I've been up since 6.30. And he said, I went, got a cup of tea, sat down, just started. I said, I read a couple of the Psalms, and then I just sat there and listened to God. And then my boss calls me and says, hey, what time are you coming in today? He says, an hour went by. I didn't even know. And he said, man, what an hour. So, folks, I would just ask you, see what you can do with the six minutes. And by the way, thank you for those of you that answered the blessings that I asked for last week. It was wonderful. Angel, thank you very much. I know that you were here. A um, couple others of you that, that sent those blessings in, I loved reading those. Those were amazing. And I love hearing about the way God is working in your lives. We get enough of the garbage on the television, don't we, and all the news and things flashing on our phones we get lots of the garbage lots of the bad things lots of that talk about the good stuff with each other so you can encourage one another think about those around you and encourage each other because that's where it, what it counts then when he starts to blast the trumpets the seven seals are over he throws the stuff on the earth and the earth begins to shake and burn up and all of these things are beginning to happen when God is not done with us yet, when God is at a point of trying to let us know, I need you to listen to me a little bit better, you have to think about a few gentlemen and, and people in the Bible. One named Jonah. Remember him? Oh, yeah. The crazy man. God said, go this way. He said, yeah, you know what? Um, I'll be right with you. I got to go this way first. God said, no, go this way. You know what? I can't go that way. Those people aren't going to listen. But I'm going to go over here to where the easy, it's easier over here because these people are going to listen. Jonah, go this way. God, people in Nineveh are hard-headed. I love the fact that it's the third call of God when Jonah says, people over there are hard-headed. Uh, Jonah... Aren't you being hard-headed? I, I just, I'm amazed at how people do that. They say, well, yeah, those people over there are like this. And you're thinking, nobody ever thinks that, well, I'm being that right now. Because when God is, is all of a sudden burning up the earth, the stars, the moon, everything on here, we see nothing but pestilence going on. Don't you want to know then, John, why didn't you write about the other two-thirds what they were saying? I want to know what they were saying. I want to know how many of them all of a sudden started to come out of the tribulation and say, okay, God, you know what? You win. I see this. I don't want to live through this anymore. If there ever comes a time in one of your family, friends, or your own lives when things have been hard, traffic, and pressing, and you don't want to do it anymore, that is the perfect time to take the six-minute challenge. When you truly believe you shouldn't, 
that's when you really should. Whenever we believe that we should not pray, that's when you need it the most. Whenever you're thinking, I don't feel like reading my Bible right now. I don't even want to, I don't even want to go over there and pick it up and open it. You really should. I don't feel like calling so-and-so and having them pray for me because I don't want to get into it. I don't want to hear them tell me. how I don't want to know it. I don't want, I don't want to call somebody to see if I can get prayer for this. That's when you really should. In all of the study of this particular book in this big book, in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, all we're going to read about is the fact that Tribulation comes, and God is the answer to it. Tribulation happens, Jesus, the lamb, is covered in the blood that fixes it. So why is it then when we get to chapter 12 and we see the face of the enemy and we start to understand why he always is after us? Why is it then that we don't think when we're getting the thoughts in our head that say, don't pray, don't read your Bible, don't call your friends who know you and love you and care about you and want to pray for you. At that moment, why don't we stop and go, ew, no, slap him across the face, much like somebody did on, th never mind. But you're going to then say, no, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read, you know. I'm going to call my brother Ken Kunkel. One of the best prayers around, by the way. Get his phone number. Call him. Thank you, brother. You're welcome for that. But I just truly believe that if we can get to the point where when tribulation hits us, when thalipsis starts to come, when we feel under that extreme pressure, that we realize and know, oh, and not say, why is this happening to me? And instead we say, what do we have to learn? God, what are you telling me? Don't do the why. Pick the what and go to your six minutes and listen for God. And I realize there are times of day when you can't. But like I said at the beginning of this, there's that moment when each night we have everything shut down and we're starting to think about going to bed. Can we take the six-minute challenge and make it go six minutes? And when it goes longer, don't blame me. Because you're going to get blessed, and that's a great thing. And all oh, the peace that passes all understanding that you will feel in that. In verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet. The sun was struck, the moon, the stars... A third of their light might be darkened. Do you know anybody whose life already has that darkness in it? On your outline, down at the very bottom, you can put their initials, you can put their name, you can put anything, any description of them, put a code word, so that as you look at this later on or put it somewhere where you can see it, that you're going to pray for that person. Ask your heavenly father for an encounter. Don't be afraid of an encounter. Don't do I'm not praying for that. God might give it to me. Oh, yeah. 
That's what we want. And let God then say, okay, great to you. Because when that eagle flew over, after the sixth one, and he says, woe to all those who dwell on the earth. Do you remember what, what the code word, I'm sorry, I said code word, I'm not supposed to say code, what the meaning of the phrase, those who dwell on the earth. Who is that? That's the ones who don't believe. The ones who don't believe. Whenever you see that phrase, do those who dwell on the earth. That is the phrase. And, and in that first week outline you have, when I gave you all the descriptions of a lot of things, that's, that description is on there. And it was, that first week was like a dictionary, a lexicon thing, where I gave you a lot of, of um, uh, definitions of the, the phrases in the Bible. And, and in this, when he says, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, what he's saying to all of the non-believers is, you ain't seen nothing yet. Get ready. Come to Jesus. God's not trying to kill you or torture you for no reason. He's trying to tell you that there is a day of judgment coming. And on the white throne judgment, when we see that in chapter 20 and 21, all of a sudden now it's all over. There's no more chances. That's it. And everybody's going to be judged according to their deeds. And I'm not supposed to spoil Eric's sermon for Sunday, so I have to behave. But the big deal is this. If we get to the point where we have friends and family and we know we can see all of this stuff that's coming and we don't say to them, I'm not trying to scare you. And you don't need to tell them all of this. Don't please don't take your Bible and say, Bill says you're going to go to hell and you're in trouble. That's not the issue. That's not the point. That's not what I want you to say. What I want you to say is, you know what? I know that you're hurting a lot. Just want you to know, and you may not believe, but I just said a prayer for you this week. I said a prayer for you today. I just wanted you to know that I'm here for you. Is there anything you need? We don't need to preach because the seal that's on here that shines out from us should be one of love, compassion, and a heart for God that tells them that they are more important that they do that than what they believe. When people say to me when I'm on a suicide hotline and, and I'm trying to stop them from doing things to harm themselves. And what they don't realize is the whole time that I'm talking with them, I'm making sure the police are going to get there before they do something stupid. I'm sorry. Before they do something to harm themselves. Sorry, Jeannie, I shouldn't have said that on there. But yeah. Before they do something to harm themselves. And then when the police show up and they scream at me, I hate you, I hate you. I can't believe you call the police. I hate you for doing this. And I tell them, listen to me. I care more about you than I care if you hate me for saving your life. Because that's where we're at here. The silence in heaven is all about us going before God in that silence and saying, God, I hurt for my sister, I hurt for my brother, I hurt for my friends, my family, my students. Because any time that you're hurting for somebody else, you're showing a mature discipleship that God desires in every single one of them. And that's the ones where God sits back and goes, see, that's what my little kid Jackie does. When Jackie sees a need, she knows that she's going to pray for it, and she goes after it. And I know Jackie's heart, so I used her as, forgive me for using you as an example, but I did. I can always ask forgiveness. When we get to the end and the eagle is standing up and the eagle says, 
Woe to you all who dwell on the earth. He is also saying to the believers in Christ that are you going to let them go through what's going to happen with the next three trumpets? Because he's not just giving a, a warning to those who dwell on the earth. He's always also giving notice to all of us who can have connections with those who dwell on the earth to hopefully make it so they are no longer those who dwell on the earth, but they are part of the ones who are sealed by the Spirit of God. When we get to realizing and understanding and noticing that the philipsis in our lives is so that we can help others relieve the philipsis in their lives, that's when the maturity of Christ comes in and we get to see things that we never thought we could see. A friend of mine that, that I shared, I, she, I, she and I worked together and her husband and I, and, and we worked together a lot and there were things, they moved to Texas almost a year ago now. And like I said, two weeks ago, I get a text that says, as soon as I went up there and prayed, you were the first person that Hugh and I said, we need to call Pastor Bill. And this text is, I just thought I should tell you. And she does it in this very calm manner. She knew I was going to explode. I just wanted to tell you that I went to church today, and it was great. And oh, yeah, I prayed to receive Jesus. I got a little excited. My family thought I had, that's it, dad needs the straight jacket, he's going crazy. Because I could just imagine the heavens, the angels in heaven rejoicing when one lost sinner comes home. And this girl has such a heart for people, it's unbelievable. She, she did amazing things before for people that were struggling, the veterans who were homeless and things. But now, ooh, I told her, when you become rich and famous, remember the ministry, would you? You know, don't forget us. Folks, I'm going to wrap up, but that silence in heaven was for one reason, that connection with our God. The eagle flying over to warn those who dwell on the earth is trying to make sure that we, who are sealed by the Spirit of God, Recognize that those who dwell on the earth need us. That is what chapter 7 is for, for us. That's why it's so encouraging. Because now we start to understand, we get to see the end of the picture when this mess is all over. Yes, right now we think the TV and the media are in control, our government's in control, the law's in control, all of these things that they truly believe are in control on this earth. Folks, we, we have the end of the story right here. We get to know the end of the story. But we don't get to know it to say, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're going to hell. What The reason we get to know it is so that we can tell those that we care about, hey, I love you. They don't need to know we're trying to help them to get out of this. What they need to know is that I care more about you than I care if you get mad at me for saying your saving your life. But we got to do it in God's way, in God's time. It's not always, 
good friend of mine we grew up with who's a very famous evangelist now, but he thought it was the bigger Bible he had and get out there on the piers and scream, you're all going to hell. He thought that was the way until our senior pastor at the time came to him and said, come here, son, we got to go talk. This is not, I get it that you're excited to being saved, but this is not the right way to do this. So there's always a way and a time. Stay close to God. Use your six minutes to hear his voice. And you will never, ever be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father, in that moments of silence, may we hear your voice. May we know what it means to listen first and talk later. You know the lists we have for our prayers. Help us to open our heart to get to know your heart more. That we might, that our hearts would break for the things that break your heart. Help us to hear you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the way that you have given that vision to John, that he wrote it down so many thousands of years ago, and that he wrote it down just so that we could be encouraged to know that we stand with the Lord our God and sing, Holy, 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 who is the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come. May we walk in your presence. For all of those that are here in this building, for those all of that are on stream, Lord. I would just pray that you fill their households that need it with the great physician. I would pray, God, that you touch them that need to know the release of anxiety and depression in that darkness. For those that think their lives are worthless, Father, may you point out and hold their hands and hold their hearts that they would know how important they are to you. And more than anything else, oh God, help us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, that we might be his hands and feet on this earth. Thank you for this time together, and until we're together next week, Father, we open our hearts to those God moments when you want us to use them. And we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. For those of you... Um, on the stream, please, if you have any questions, any, any statements or anything you want to say to us and, and let me know, just say, hey, for Pastor Bill, go to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. And I love to hear from you all. And it's wonderful to know that, that you're out there and hearing us and that you're part of this study with us. God bless you. And may you have a great rest of the week until hopefully we can see some of you on Sunday. God bless.